So the Psalms of Ascent, uh, just a, a reminder again of sort of how they work. This is Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and they're the Psalms that Israel would sing as they went up together to Jerusalem to the temple each year. There's three yearly feasts that uh, all of the people would be summoned to sort of come home to Jerusalem to worship. And so that's what we're getting a, a picture of as we read the Psalms. And as Christians, we can sing and pray these Psalms in a similar sort of way as we look forward to our ultimate home with God. Uh, as we too are pilgrims on the way, looking forward to Jesus' return when he will make a new heavens and a new earth and make all things well. Now these Psalms fall into triplets, and each triplet uh, goes from distress to security in God, and then finally home with the Lord, or home in Jerusalem. And you get that pattern four times. And then the last three psalms are psalms of arrival as the psalmist reaches the temple and celebrates sort of being home at long last. And so we're, we're at the third of our first triplet. In Psalm 120, we have the psalmist in distress. In Psalm 121, we have the promise of the Lord who is our keeper. And now in Psalm 122, we get uh, a glimpse of being at home with the Lord. So we're going to look just a little more closely at Psalm 122 today. And what do we notice? Well, the first thing I want to draw our attention to is that the psalmist hears the call of the community to come and worship God. To come and worship God. And this brings a joy to his heart to hear others say, let's go worship God together. And there's something for us here, friends, if, you've, if you're a Christian this morning, if you've given your heart to Jesus, that there is to be a joy in our hearts to gather together with brothers and sisters and worship the Lord. That this is a, a source of gladness for us. You might say, well, why is this guy so glad, the psalmist? And, and if I'm to be glad as well, how do I sort of cultivate that in my own heart? Uh, do the same things fill me with joy, we could say. And so there's four sort of reasons the psalmist is glad, and I'm going to walk us through those this morning. The first is in verses 1 to 2, we hear about the house of God. Gathering in the house of God brings a sense of gladness. And then in verses 2 to 4, the focus shifts to the worship of God, which brings gladness. In verse 5, we get a, a picture of the kingdom of God. And then the last few verses focus on the peace of God. So the house of God, the worship of God, the kingdom of God, the peace of God. First, the psalmist is glad to come up and, and to worship in the house of God, the gathering place of the, living, of the living God. Look again at verse 1. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And this is emphatic in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, you often uh, put the important words at the beginning of the sentence. And it would go something like this, to the house of Yahweh, let's go up. To the house of Yahweh, let's go. He's going to the house of the living God. And this is why he's glad to make the journey to Jerusalem. Because here in the house of God, in the temple, it was understood that this was sort of the hot spot of God's presence. Yes, God is with us. Yes, he's with Israel as they're sort of scattered throughout the land. But there's a sense in which God's presence is sort of focused or more, more present somehow. Uh, in the Jerusalem temple. This is where God lives. This is where God is revealed. And now we could apply that for our own lives just for a moment. I think it's really easy to be busy with all sorts of things for God. It's easy to be busy with 
various, we've even celebrated some of our various volunteers this morning, all sorts of, and our board members, all sorts of things that we can do for God. And we can be busy even with the going on in church life, all sorts of stuff going on in ministries and groups and tables downstairs to put up and whatnot. But it's so easy sometimes to get uh, caught up in the busyness that we can lose focus on the fact that we gather each week on the Lord's Day to experience Jesus Christ in real time, to meet with the living God, to encounter his presence. And there's a joy in meeting him, to commune with him. And we don't want to lose sight of that in the busyness and the activity of church life that we gather together to encounter him in real time. And uh, there's a good question for us in that thought as well. Is there a gladness in our hearts to come and worship the Lord? You know, I'll be honest, for me, often Sundays is a difficult morning. It's a very difficult morning. This morning was a difficult morning. And a part of it's just the busyness in our stage of life with, with our kids. And part of it, for me, is the weight I often feel Sunday mornings of coming in and, and hoping all is well. Praying that it goes well, but also praying that our hearts as a community would be open to what God would do. That where there's strain in our relationships, that God would heal it. Where there's brokenness or, or fear, that God would bring his peace. And that comes full force every Sunday morning. It usually starts Saturday afternoon at some point. And part of that's my own anxieties, but part of that is also sort of the weight of, uh, of leadership and just sort of knowing what's going on in the house. But there's a call for me and a call for all of us that whatever Sunday may bring or what, whatever sort of feelings may come, as you know, I might see so-and-so at church tomorrow. Oh, my goodness, you know? That there's also a call for us to lay that down and to come to experience the joy of meeting Jesus. And yes, there's brokenness, and yes, we're people, and that means there's all sorts of other issues that show up when we gather together. But at the end of the day, we come to reorient our hearts to Jesus. And so, do you enjoy meeting with God? Do you have that sense in your soul of knowing his presence? Uh, do you have that sense that he reveals himself to you, his goodness, that he forgives you, that you meet him as we enter into worship? And you may not know that this morning. You may... You may come this morning and go, what are these people doing? Like, what? <laughs> They're talking to someone who's not here. And uh, what's, what's happening, right? And uh, that may be because uh, you've never opened yourself to God. You're still in sin. And God is calling you, inviting you to come to him to know what's going on when we gather together. And if, if we don't feel his presence... Uh, or the glory of God. Maybe you've never felt that. Then that's, that's not a question so much about God. It is a question about your heart. What's going on in your heart that you haven't felt the goodness of God? Think of Samuel. What does young Samuel say when uh, he's serving in the temple? Samuel, it says, he did not know God, that God had not yet revealed himself to Samuel. And then God spoke to him. And you may not hear God audibly call your name, as Samuel did, but you may perhaps hear God's word ring true in your heart. You may hear his voice as you open his word to us. And you can ask him to reveal himself to you. Boys and girls who are here, uh, you can ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, uh, to come to know him. And we know also, this is the other thing to note about the house of God, we know that the church building is not the house of God in the same sense. 
we call this a sanctuary, uh, but it doesn't house God. It's not like God is only here, right? Uh, in some ways, this is a, a meeting place, but the house of God, the presence of God is no longer in the Jerusalem temple any more than it is at uh, sort of the local church on the corner in town. But the temple of God is now mobile as Christ comes to make his home in each of us. The spirit comes to live within the Christian so that the Christian himself and herself becomes the temple of the living God. Both individually but also collectively we become the temple, uh, the holy of holies where Christ comes to dwell. And so we no longer need to, thankfully, go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to find and encounter the presence of God. He's here with us today, and he's in one another. Um, and he reveals himself as we gather together. So the presence of God brings a, a gladness to the psalmist. That was the first point. Now the second thing is the gift of worship. Look again at verses 2 and 3. He says, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. I'll read verse 4 as well. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It was decreed for Israel. I said this a few times. That they are called to go up together to celebrate and to worship God at the temple. And now the psalmist is ready for worship, and he's thinking of the tribes coming together in common cause to worship, as was decreed, to give thanks to the Lord. To give thanks is, uh, is to yada, to, uh, and the idea is to throw or cast something in the air. It's the word that's used to describe God's people in worship, and so you yada your worship to God. It's sort of you're throwing your worship, throwing your thanks back to God. Uh, but it doesn't always mean give thanks. It has different connotations to yada. Uh, the first is, is that sense of sort of throwing yourself um, Godward, as it were, to yada yourself, to declare who God is and what he's done. Um, that's to be the substance of our worship, is to declare God and his faithful character. That's what worship's all about. Um, the psalmist, the psalmist is not so concerned about telling God how he feels about God. There's a bit of that. But the psalmist focuses on declaring God's goodness and faithfulness, the wonder of who God is and what God has done. And, uh, you know, the same for us, that our, our congregational singing, which is part of worship, it's not all of worship, but it's part of worship, is a privilege, but it's also a, a duty that we have. It's, a, it's a, a discipline that we have to declare the truth of who God is, to proclaim his faithfulness. I uh, was listening to uh, another fellow who was preaching this passage, and he made the point, he said, I feel like there's too many Jesus is my boyfriend songs where I, I, uh, I just thank Jesus for the, the warm, fuzzy feelings he gives me. And I can relate. Uh, there's plenty of worship songs that are, are feel more like if you took out Jesus and put boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, it, would, it would fit just as well. But we need songs that are uh, Christ-centered and biblically rich uh, that drives our worship uh, as what we know of God, who he's like, uh, regardless of how I might feel in the moment, because my feelings can lead me sideways. And I need to rest not in my feelings of God, but in the truth of who he is. And so we affirm that corporately, not just individually, but corporately together. That's part of what the tribes go up to do, is to yada, to give thanks to God for who he is. 
The second way that that word is used is also to confess sin. And so our worship is not just thankfulness and joy and, and sort of, you know, ecstasy, but it's also being honest about the reality of our brokenness and coming to God with that, bearing that to God, uh, confessing our sins. Think of a psalm like Psalm 32, 5, which says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I will yada my transgression to the Lord. I, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Right? He's speaking about the truth of his heart. There's transgression, which is a deliberate act of disobedience to God. And he's confessing that to God. And so the psalmist wants to be engaged in the worship of God with the tribes. It'd be, it's kind of neat to think, right? It would be almost like um, if there was a, a sort of annual gathering and all of the Christians in Canada got together, right, and went to one place to worship. And you knew there was going to be, you know, brothers and sisters from all over the place coming together. And that would be something very quite cool about that, right? And that's something of what the, the psalmist feels, that sense of corporate worship of God. In the same way, though, we do that on small scale every Sunday, every week. We get together with people we may or may not have seen through the week, but we know there are others who will come, and we're not on our own, and we're called to, to reorient our hearts to God. It's so easy to have uh, other things in our life speak so large and seem so huge in our lives. And when we come to church on a Sunday, we let those things rest and we let God and his word be writ large in our lives. This is what is ultimately true. This is what my life is ultimately about. Uh, but we need that reorienting work. Uh, Will had a birthday last this past week. Uh, not this Friday, but last Friday. And uh, he loves monster trucks. There's many trucks at the party. Small monster trucks, bigger monster trucks, monster trucks with remote controls, monster trucks without remote controls, you know, Lego monster trucks, just trucks, lots of trucks. It's turning four, so trucks, trucks. And, uh, but I tell you, it doesn't take long, and uh, the front wheels of the one monster truck got kind of bonked a little too hard. Someone chucked the monster truck when they shouldn't have, and uh, hit something hard, and it got out of alignment. And so I had to come rescue monster truck and realigned him, and it was complicated. It took some doing, but I finally got it to work again. And I was thinking, in so many ways, our lives can get disoriented by what we hear around us. And you may hear uh, the lies of the world that would tell us uh, untruth about God, or about ourselves, or about truth itself, or about gender. And it could knock your tires out of alignment. Um, but when we come back to worship God and we come back to hear God's word week after week, it realigns us to what is true. And it realigns us to be able to function well again. And so good worship is like that. It's healing and it's refreshing, but it's also reorienting. Uh, it, can, it can be like a breath of fresh air. I had a, a sleep study last week. And uh, after being hooked up to many, many small wires and sleeping in a strange bed with many wires hooked up to me. Uh, I tell you, the, the shower the next morning was very refreshing <laughs> as, the, as the guck and the glue came off, right? And uh, kind of got reset for the week ahead. And that's something like what church is. Sometimes we are poked and prodded through the week. We need that refreshing shower to come and set things right. And so the psalmist 
wants to come and encounter the worship of God with others, to be refreshed, and to be reoriented. So the first is he's, he's glad for the presence of God in the house. He's glad, secondly, for the worship that will take place together with everybody. And now the third thing is that the psalmist is excited to see the kingdom of God at work. And what I'm referring to here is in verse 5, this reference to thrones. Thrones set for judgment. Uh, it says the thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. And when we think of judgment, often we think judgment equals bad. Or we think, uh, you know, Christians are judgy, right? Uh, you'll hear that uh, thrown around sometimes. But judgment, in this case, especially when we're talking about God's judgment, is referring to good government. It's referring to God's righteousness and justice to set things right in the world. Uh, we think of, of good government. This is something that Jesus, as a Messiah, is called to. In Isaiah 42, it says that Jesus, uh, the government of peace is on his, is on his shoulders. Is that Isaiah 42? I'm thinking of Isaiah 50, 52, 53, uh, 54, somewhere in there. I've lost the address. It's gone. <laughs> Went with the sleep study. And, uh, but Jesus, there's this sense in which Jesus rather than being like so many leaders in Israel's time and perhaps, dare we say, in our time as well, uh, Jesus is not a sort of um, aggressive, ruthless leader. He's a gentle leader. And he has an eye for the broken and the useless and the worthless. That Jesus as a leader sees those who are broken and hurting. Instead of throwing them out or thinking they're worthless, he calls them to himself, and he has a heart for those, and he will bring justice on the earth. And we live in a world, folks, that's, that's hungry for justice, aren't we? Um, we live in a world where there's a lot of brokenness, and uh, we can debate about what's the right way to sort of get things back to normal or, or get things set right again. And uh, so often we don't really completely know how to set things right. Um, it seems like uh, people are just angry often at the injustices of the world. And uh, so often we feel our world is led by fools, and uh, fortunately it's us and our foolishness who tend to elect them often, <laughs> right? And uh, we long for good leadership. We long for good leadership. We don't always know where to find it, but we long for that. And that's what the psalmist is longing for as well. He's longing to get back home and to see the good judgment of God exercised to see God at work from the throne setting things right. Uh, we need a king who will lead with righteousness and goodness and truth. Uh, and that's in such contrast, that idea of the future king of Jesus Messiah who would come and rule with gentleness and grace is just such a contrast to the world around the psalmist, which is, you know, cultures really that are hinged on violence and bloodshed. But in Jerusalem, we get this glimpse of the future kingdom of God that'll be, that'll be uh, ran and, and established with love and with grace and with sanity, where the rest of the world sometimes feels like it's going insane. Uh, here's God leading with sanity and justice and good leadership. And you know, the church is meant to be, a, uh, again, on, on small scale, a picture of that as well, that God is glorified when we can lead well in our churches, when there's good governance and we seek to lead with sanity and not insanity. And we seek to love and shepherd uh, the congregation. And we seek to love the sheep um, and not uh, sort of just brutalize one another. 
And so like the psalmist, when we, when we get a, a glimpse of good governance in the church, it's a glimpse of the kingdom of God, of the already not yet of God's kingdom. And so often we miss that. But I'm so thankful for, for our board and for our elders and our, our ministry leaders and for the good, the good leadership that we have in our church. I'm so thankful for that. The final point is the psalmist wants to go home so he can know the peace of God. These last four verses are all about peace for Jerusalem. Peace in your walls. Peace be within you. And for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, he says in verse 9, I will seek your good. Now peace in, in Hebrew is this idea of shalom, right? You've, you've been in church for any length of time. You've probably heard that word shalom, and it, it carries a, a deeper sense than just peace, as in like calmness. It carries the sense of wholeness, of, of restored relationships, of life thriving as it's meant to thrive. When things are in shalom, it's like things are working well and, and people are whole and put together and, and the systems work well. Uh, the sense of satisfaction that life is, is able to be lived as it's meant to be lived. That's what shalom is about. It's kind of sort of like no more fractured by sin. Um, we think even, if you think back to the beginning of this triplet, to Psalm 120, uh, if you have in your Bibles there, look at the last verse of Psalm 120. was also about peace. Uh, actually, go to verse 6. He says, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. And we see that same theme picked up right here at the end of this triplet. Uh, a call to peace. A call to peace. And then a call to seek peace. I will seek your good. Paul, when he talks about the new kind of life that we're meant to have in Jesus, he contrasts our life with God with the life of, uh, that we had before knowing God. And listen to how different these are. This is from Titus 3, verse 3. He says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. This is the, the, the life with God that we're called to. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. That's a life that's been changed by Jesus. And then this is, this is life as we were before knowing Jesus. He says, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating each other. But there's a life folks of shalom that God invites us into. It's a shalom that the psalmist longed for as well, to see our lives uh, molded and shaped by God. And yet we still live in a world where so much of that anger and brokenness still exists. We long to see, like the psalmist, we long to see God's wholeness and justice reign in the world. I looked up some of the headlines this week as I was preparing, and you can just see the brokenness here. Uh, in some places, you can see the anger, but a lot of brokenness. And you just long for God to come and, and set things right here. This is a world that's broken. Here's the headlines. Dothan, Manitoba, mourns for victims in deadly bus crash. President of Sikh Temple in Surrey, shot dead in parking lot. Two school boards sued for millions over alleged abuse by teacher. Donny Creek fire becomes largest in BC history. Severe flooding adds to hardships in southern Ukraine. 
In Labrador, those caring for a town's homeless population face backlash criticism. Airstrike kills 17 people, including five children in Sudan. This is a world that's at war, that's broken, that's angry, that's fighting. And something happens when we come to God. Something happens when we give our lives to Jesus. This is Paul again from Titus. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. And goodness, we know there's not a lot of that. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. What's the heart of God for you? There's a sense of shalom, of peace, both inside and outside. That Jesus would come and wash and, and set us free and redeem us. And I like how this psalm ends, verse 9, with this sense of because the psalmist is no longer enslaved to a way of anger and fighting, but he wants now to live for the good of other people. Right? For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. He's seeking the good of others. He's longing to see the shalom of God grow and be established and expanded. And folks, that's to be our hearts as well. That as we gather as believers, our hearts should be to see God's kingdom come more and more fully. And that his peace and his shalom would reign in us individually, but also in our churches collectively. Uh, that we would be signposts that point the world to a different way, that point the world away from the anger and the war and the fighting and the bitterness and the confusion uh, about what we are and who we are and what life's about, and point us back to Jesus. It's a longing that's meant to be in our hearts. And so the psalmist at home with God, he's excited for the house of God, the worship of God, the kingdom of God, and the peace of of God. And my prayer, folks, is that each of us and our church and every church where the Lord is lifted up, that we would have a hunger for these as well. That you would have a hunger for God's presence in your life. That you would have a hunger for the worship of God with brothers and sisters. That you would have a, a, a hunger for good and just kingdom leadership to see things run well and in God's way. And that you would be a person who seeks shalom, that seeks the good of the city where God has planted you. And that means all sorts of things that, and looks differently for all sorts of us. Wherever God has put you at home or in the workplace or in the school, that you can be a, an agent of seeking to bring God's shalom and God's transforming presence and love to the people around you, wherever he's put you. Um, you don't need to go to Africa to be a missionary. You need to step out your front door find where God has put you. And that is the call for us uh, as we come to Jesus, that we would, uh, in turn, extend the love and grace that we found in him to those around us. Amen. Let's pray to that end. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, this morning we thank you that uh, we too are pilgrims on the road. And that means that uh, what what may feel so steady in life sometimes and so difficult in life will likely change as time goes on and as we move on in life. But Lord, we're, we're well aware this morning that uh, 
There's much that's broken. There's much that's hurting, both inside and out. And Jesus, like the psalmist who is in a place of distress, feeling far from God, we want to come to you today and, and know our true home in you. Jesus, that you have come to set us free, to defeat the power of sin at the cross through your death, so we could know true and abundant life in you. Lord, we, we say this morning we want to be people who long for your presence. We want to be people who uh, encounter you and seek you on a daily basis. Lord, we want to be people who gather to, to worship you, to put you first in our lives, and to do that with brothers and sisters. Lord, we need each other. Sometimes, Lord, our relationships with each other get soured and spoiled and broken, and there's hurt and heartache. And that's where we long for your kingdom and your justice to reign. Lord, for good leadership and wisdom for those who guide us in our churches and our families. Lord, we pray for your, your wisdom and your justice over our city and over our province and over our country. Lord, that you would uh, work, work out your righteousness in the hearts of those that you have put in leadership. Lord, we pray that there would be a hunger in those that are in positions of authority to turn to you, Lord. There would be a, a recognizing that they don't have all the answers. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit you would draw them to yourself. Lord, we pray this morning also that you would bring shalom, that you would bring your peace, Lord, that we would seek the good of the city where you've planted us, and so for us here in Dryden today, Lord, we pray that you would help us to speak your truth, your goodness, your life, and those around us who don't know you. Lord, we pray in a larger sense for your church worldwide that where you've planted us, Lord, that we would be witnesses of you, of your shalom, of your heart, Lord, where there's much brokenness and hurting. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you came to enter right into our brokenness and hurting. And you took it upon yourself at the cross. It's not unfamiliar to you, God. So we thank you that you know it, that you know us. And so we pray, Jesus, that as we head from this place into the week ahead, whatever it might bring, that you would fill us afresh with your presence, guide us with a heart of worship, lead us in your goodness, help us to live out your peace, especially in the difficult situations of work and relationships and life. We ask these things in your name. Amen.